name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. St. Francis de Sales, St. Martha, St. Jude. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So with Francis, remember, um, the origin of his work is writing to people who had problems. And a lot of the advice that he gives is timeless. Uh, And uh, what you get with Francis when you go through his readings is you get little nuggets of things that you can hang on to. Things you can apply later in your life. Things to remember. Uh, seen as a whole, stepping back from it, it can sort of sometimes seem like a hodgepodge. Okay? But it's a good hodgepodge. Because just everything that he has to say, I think, is, is so helpful. So we've got a number of different subjects once again, collecting up some more. And this is not even near everything that he, that he could possibly say. All that I've gone over here, there's, 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 there's more we could have gone over, but, you know... It's a good summary of of all the things that Francis has to say, and and a good survey of it, at least. So, what we've got today are just some some other other hodgepodges, okay? On the criticism of the world, okay? On temptations. On spiritual sadness, sorrow. On joy and consolations, okay? And a few other little assorted things as well, okay? So, one of the things that Francis talks about um, and I think it's very, very important to remember is that when you set your hand to the spiritual plow, you've got to expect that secular and worldly people are going to criticize you. That's just the way it is. And in fact, a lot of your fellow people out there with your hand to the plow are going to criticize you. Okay? The essence of true religion is a direct crossing of swords with the ego. And we don't like that. We like our ego. Okay? Um, like C.S. Lewis once said, uh, everybody has an ego problem. And if you don't think you have an ego problem, it means you have a really big ego problem. Okay? And we don't like it. And it's hard. And one of the consequences of having your ego crossed is... Criticism. Okay, so he says you just have to learn to accept this in life. Um, you can't please the world when you start to please God. He says, don't even try. And it reminds us of what our Lord said: If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Okay, but you're not of the world. So the world hates you. They throw names at you. They label you. They judge you. All the while, um, accusing you of judging them. It's just so precious. <laughs> It's, it's just so sweet, the, the way they've got that, the, the, the way that happens. Um, as soon as you start working a road of holiness, they fire a thousand darts at you. You're a hypocrite. That's the first thing that people always say. And you know what the best response to that is. Right? I don't want to go to church because there's nothing but hypocrites there. There's always room for one more. <laughs> right? Or somebody else, somebody else recently said... Um, uh, saying you don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites is like saying you don't want to go to the gym because everybody's out of shape. 
Um, but, that, but, 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 they'll, but they'll say this to you. They'll say you're turning to God because you're weak. You're turning to God because you're a failure. You're turning to God because you've got no place else to turn. This will be the ruin of your health. This won't be good for your business. This is going to wreck your personality. You're not any fun anymore, man. You changed. You're not any fun anymore. This isn't needed. It's good enough. Why do you have to be so extreme? Why do you have to go so far? Can't you just have a little bit of religion and balance it with the rest of your life? And the one thing that an unconverted heart doesn't understand, okay? and the one thing that a converted heart does understand, this is an endeavor of love. This is a matter of love. It's not a task. It's not a duty. It's not a chart full of items we have to check off uh, as if we're completing a day at work. It's essentially the business of following Christ is a, is, a, is a business of love and what does love give? Love gives everything. Okay? Love gives everything. And you're always going to be total about the things that matter most. Can you imagine um, a fiancé complaining about her sweetheart? Why do you have to call me every day? Why can't you balance this with all the other things going on in your life? You know, why do you have to be so extreme? No. Love always gives all. Okay? And Francis says, just expect this. He says, uh, quoting Christ, he says, John the Baptist came not eating and drinking, and they said he was a devil. The Son of Man came into this world eating and drinking, and they said, look, a glutton and a drunkard. Okay? And he says, if it helps you, stop and think about their hypocrisy. And there's plenty of it. He says, don't some people spend entire days and entire nights in a row playing chess or playing cards? Or if he was living on their own time, staying up playing the internet or, you know, whatever it might be, Facebook. Okay? Is there anything more absurd than that? Yet no one talks about them. Friends show no concern. But if you rise early to pray for an hour, they think it's necessary to send for the doctor. Okay? You can dance away the whole night without complaining. But if you stay up for the Easter vigil, right, well, you're going to be sick for the whole next day. Right? Um, whatever you do, Francis says, people try to see the worst. Okay? So if you go dancing and you, and you play, scandal. Right? Okay, but if you don't dance, you're melancholy, right? You're a party pooper. If you're careful about your appearance, you're full of vanity, okay? But if you're not careful about your appearance, you're a slob. You just can't win, okay? They don't accuse your actions, they accuse your intention. And he says, now some of this is true, and some of this you need to pay attention to, all right? Some criticism is true, some things do need to be corrected, and it'll show up in good time. And you'll know the difference, because virtue will last and hypocrisy uh, will, will reveal itself quickly. Francis says, Comets and planets appear equally bright, but they may be distinguished by their duration. So too, hypocrisy and virtue appear to be the same, but one lasts and the other does not. Okay? He also says, use this for your own humility. Profit from it. Okay? It'll keep you from becoming vain. It'll keep you from becoming proud. In a sense, they're only helping you. I remember uh, reading a letter from a Spanish martyr died in the Spanish Civil War. I forget his name. And his, he was a, a venerable, he was about to be made blessed. And a letter he wrote to his fiancée the night before he was going to be executed. And he wrote a letter to his fiancée and he said, Do not hate these men who will put me to death. Don't give in to your bitterness against them. They're actually only sending me to God. It's a pretty bold thing to be able to say. But it was entirely true. 
So in a sense, people who hurl insults are actually only helping you. Okay? Be firm in your plans, be unshakable in your resolutions, persevere in your consecration. And as St. Francis says, the world considers us fools, let us consider it mad. Okay? Remember when I was in the seminary, you heard of Father Benedict Groeschel? Yes. He used to be on EWTN. Um, Father Benedict Groeschel, he gave us a retreat. And at the very end of the retreat, he was, he was talking about, you know, keeping the spirit. And he goes, gentlemen, just look the world in the eye and spit. <laughs> okay, so criticism. Use it. Expect it. Don't even try to win. You're not going to win. Okay, so temptation. Now, Francis on temptation. You have a lot to say on this subject. And I find it to be very helpful. Okay. And he, he puts this whole to- topic of temptations into relational terms. And that's probably what I find to be most helpful. He says, imagine a young wife. Okay? Imagine a newlywed. Tenderly loved by her spouse. And along comes a man, makes a shameful proposition to her. Okay? The shameful proposition to do something immoral. Three things happen. Okay? She receives the proposition. Number two, she has a choice to make. Okay? She either delights in it, or she's repulsed and turned off by it. And the last thing is, she either consents to it, or rejects it. And Francis says, that's what happens with the temptation. In a sense, it's like, you're like that spouse. right? Spouse of the Lamb. Uh, Christ is the the groom, the church is the bride. And along comes someone who is dishonorable, right? The evil one. And he makes a shameful proposition. There's the temptation, okay? Now, you either find it to be agreeable or you find it to be disagreeable. And lastly, you either consent to it or you reject it. Okay, but the important thing to understand is going over this is temptations aren't sins, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in confession and had people come to me and tell me all their temptations. And I have to tell them temptations aren't sins. And they don't believe me. Okay, so you've got to help me get the word out. Temptations aren't sins. There's no fault in it. Temptations come to everyone. Temptations obviously came to Christ our Lord. And nowhere recorded in the Bible is it that temptations came to the Blessed Mother, but you, you've got to figure they must have. Right? If Christ was tempted, the Blessed Mother must have had very strong temptations, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with the temptation itself. It's something happening on the outside of you. It's the classic understanding of the meaning of the word passion. Okay, so you talk about our Lord's suffering and death, it's sometimes referred to as his passion. Or maybe somebody will have some romance and it's referred to as passion. The classic understanding of the meaning of the word passion is something happening to you. Right? It's passive. It's a passion. And that's what a temptation is. It's a passion. It's something that you receive. But the guilt or the innocence, you have to remember, it's always what you do with it. It's not ever the temptation of, its, of itself. Okay. So far, so good. Let's talk about this delight or repulsion. Again, something that needs to be clarified. Okay? Because sometimes people can think that if they find something attractive... That means they're delighting in it. And that's not what Francis means. Okay? That's not the delight or the repulsion. Again, the delight or the repulsion is a free choice, not a feeling. 
and um, it's, it's not just the idea that there's some kind of draw or something that is attractive. Uh, he gives a couple of couple of examples in his uh, in his writings. One of them is kind of graphic, okay, but I'll share it with you anyway. It's Saint it's, it's Saint y'all. Everybody's most everybody's a grown up here. Um, it's Saint Jerome, okay. Now Saint Jerome tells a story from back in the ancient of days uh, of, a, of a of a young man who was tied down by an enemy, okay? Tied down by an enemy who wished to do him harm, somehow roped him down and sent a prostitute to try to tempt the guy, try to get the guy to sin. Okay, so the prostitute does everything in her power to seduce him. And let's just say for the sake of propriety that she doesn't stop at mere words, okay? She does more than just say words. Well, does the man experience physical temptation? Yes. Okay. Does he experience emotional temptation? Yes. Does he experience weakness? Yes. But still, the will hasn't been engaged. Okay. So that's not delighting or repulsing, and it's just you know, uh, it, it, it's just a, it's just a draw. His will hasn't been engaged, and he proved it by the last thing he ever did uh, to this woman. He said he had no control over any anything in his body except for his tongue. And I don't recommend anybody does this, but Jerome says he bit off the tip of his tongue and spat it at her. And she got up, obviously, and that was the end of that. Okay? Okay. Uh, she gives the example of St. Catherine of Siena. Right? Satan, apparently, at one point in Catherine of Siena's life, was given permission to tempt her very severely. And it was a very, very extreme temptation of some sort. And when it was over, Catherine writes uh, that she had a dialogue with our Lord. And Catherine said, Where were you, Lord? And Jesus answered, I was in your heart, my daughter. And Catherine says, but how could you remain in a heart so full of evil? And Jesus says, did these thoughts cause you joy or sadness? And Catherine said, great sadness. And Jesus says, and who put that sadness in you? Believe me, if I hadn't been within you, you would have been overcome. But because I was in your heart, I fortified your resistance. Okay? So the delight, the repulsion... Uh, It's not the fact that something's appealing. Something might be appealing to you. You might find it appalling that it's appealing. Okay? But it's still appealing. Right? What is the the delight that he's talking about in stage, in the second second stage? Uh, It's the decision to dwell on it or not. Okay? So, the decision is almost like the precursor of doing it. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about delight. Delight or repulsion is in the will, not in the feelings. Just keep that in mind. Again, the will always, not the feelings. Now, to dwell on it, right? To choose to dwell on it, that would be a sin. And Francis says there's, there's two parts of the soul. There's the higher part and there's the, the inferior part. It's like what St. Paul said in his letters. I feel two people dwelling and battling inside of me. One's under the law of the flesh. The under, other is under the law of the spirit. Okay? Um, and... Uh, and this is what our Lord said on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, of old it was said to you, do not commit adultery. But what I say to you is, anyone who has that intention in his looks, in his glances, in his heart, he's already committed adultery in his heart. Of old it was said to you, you shall not kill. What I say to you is that, that wicked intention, even that hatred, is already the transgression of that in your heart. Okay? So a lot of people will ask, uh, why temptations? Why does the Lord allow temptations? And Francis gives several, several reasons 
for them. And, you know, I, I only just wrote a couple of them up here on the board. Humility and dependence on God. But a few more here that I can share with you. He says, temptations bear good fruit. You can grow in great merit from temptation. And he gives a couple of examples of saints. You might have heard of the life of St. Francis of Assisi. And Francis had this real bad temptation against chastity once. And you know what he did? He threw himself into a thorn bush. That was the end of that temptation. Okay? But then again, he's Francis of Assisi. But still, um, uh, St. Benedict... He had the exact same thing. It is terrible temptation against chastity. He started rolling around in the snow. It was the end of that. Um, there was another Francis of Assisi story that I, that I heard through a Franciscan once. And apparently Francis of Assisi in the snow uh, with his temptation to chastity, he, he made snowmen. He made a big snowman and, and a couple of little snowmen. He says, that's your wife and those are your kids. Now go take care of them. <laughs> um, but he, they grow in merit. Okay, they're, they're growing merit. A second one, and this is one to kind of kind of mull over. Those who God wants to raise up very high, He must allow very severe temptations, almost like a very very difficult test. Okay, so if one experiences very great temptations, you could see it as a sign that God has great designs on you. Okay, He wishes to, He wishes to really raise you higher. Um, obviously, a way to prove your love. Okay. And here's a really important one. Dependence on God. The more I go on in my my little life, the more I begin to recognize a lot of what God does to us, allows to happen to us in our lives, He wants us to continually be dependent on Him. And we keep striving to create a life in which we feel like we're safe and God keeps breaking down those little barricades that we put up because He needs us to remember we're dependent on Him. Completely, and, and temptations help us to help us to remember that we're dependent on on Him. And actually, it shows us that the real spiritual strength are those who are constantly aware of their dependence on God at every moment, continual accepting of His grace. Okay, um, and sometimes God allows you to fall in a small temptation. To keep you from, uh, uh, to, to, to help you, to give you perseverance for a greater one that might that might come again. Now, there's a lot of ways that he says to work on these. A lot of ways that he says to work on these temptations. And I'll kind of get ahead of myself here and say one of his biggest things he says work work on small things. He says work work on small things. Um, it's easy, for example, he says to avoid murder. All right. Um, he says, but but try avoiding an outburst of anger. Now that's hard. That's the small thing. Okay. It's easy to, you know, avoid adultery, you know, but, but try avoiding some, some, some random flirting. That, that, that's a hard thing. He says it's easy to avoid stealing something. Not many people running around stealing things, but try avoiding coveting what people have. Could be what they possess, could be a, a character that's an event in their life, something, and, and, oh, I wish I could have that too. Try avoiding that. Okay. He says it's easy to avoid perjury in a court of law. Okay? But try avoiding exaggerations in your conversation. You know how those sneak in. Say one thing and next thing you know you've, you've blown a couple of details out of, uh, out of whack. Happens all the time. Okay? Uh, it, it, it's, it's easy to avoid uh, uh, open slander, but try to avoid it in your heart. Totally different thing. Sometimes God allows you to fall in a small temptation to help you remember that you need Him at all times. Okay? Another thing that, that Francis tells us about temptations, 
it helps you to know the state of your own soul. And if you ever kind of wondered, sometimes people wonder, do, do, I, have, do I have love of God? Do I have, what's the state of my soul? Stop and ask how you deal with temptations. It's not a bad little mirror of your soul. What's the movement of your heart in time of temptation? It's a little examination of conscience. Do you welcome it? Do you reject it? Do you warm up to it? Do you refuse it? The only way that temptation uh, can become a sin is if you deliberately put yourself in a near occasion of sin. And as I already said, you choose to delight. That is, to dwell on, to think about, to mull over the temptation itself. And as always, with any kind of moral theology, the greater the consent, the greater the sin. Okay? The greater the consent, the greater the sin. Okay. So, what do we do with temptation? Some remedies against temptations. Uh, as Monty Python would say, run away, run away. You have to have seen that movie. Okay? Um, he says, as soon as you're aware of a temptation, act like little children who catch sight of a wolf or of a bear in the countryside. They run immediately and throw themselves into their parents' arms. Or at least call out for help. Um, my brother had... Uh, uh, one of his teachers in seminary was... Uh, Peter Kreeft, you might have heard of him, he's written a bunch of books. And he just said, gentlemen, there are some realities from which a man must simply flee. It's very good advice. Okay? Uh, secondly, busy, busy, busy. Right? Busy hands are happy hands. Right? Keep busy with some activity. It has a way of chasing away temptations. Third one, open up to somebody. Open up to a spiritual director. Uh, open up to a friend. If you open up to them, you have control over it. It's the first step... Uh, in, uh, in, the, in the 12 AA steps you know, of, of, of overcoming alcoholism. First step is open up. Francis says, the devil imposes silence as the first condition of a soul he wants to ensnare. Just as if a man wants to seduce a young girl, the last thing he wants for, is for her parents to know about his remarks. I knew a gutsy girl a bunch of years ago in the days before cell phones and... Um, she used to carry a quarter with her on dates. And if things would get, you know, in such a way that she felt uncomfortable, she'd pull the quarter out of her pocket and she'd say, go call my dad and ask if that's okay. <laughs> right? Open up about it. It has a way of killing these temptations. Um, and as I already said, start with small things. Okay? Start with small things. Wolves and bears may be more dangerous, but they don't annoy us as much as flies or try our patience as much. Little temptations of anger, suspicion, jealousy, vanity, falsehood. These are the daily combat of the most devout and resolute souls to offer to God on a daily basis. Okay? Um, let's see. Somebody, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have everything up here. So all, all my notes I didn't put up here. Uh, nip it in the bud. Okay? As soon as you recognize it's there, look away. Don't stare it in the eye. St. Bernard of Clairvaux uh, and maybe one day we'll have a series on Bernard of Clairvaux. He's another great, great teacher. He writes about steps of spiritual regression. And you're aware that spirituality isn't on a ratchet. Just because you grow close to God doesn't mean you, can, you can't fall back. People fall back all the time. Okay, he talks about the steps of spiritual regression. You know what his first step is for spiritual regression? The first sign that you're sliding back in the wrong way? Bernard of Clairvaux now. Idle curiosity. Idle curiosity. A waste of attention to other people's lives. The entire magazine's devoted to that, right? Um, attention turned away from one's own faults. 
Guard your heart with all your might that your senses might be alerted to the protective source of life. And Bernard, I'm going into Bernard now because I like this. He has a little imaginary dialogue between God and Eve in the garden. Um, and, uh, and God says to Eve, Eve, you who are forbidden to eat, why are you looking at the tree? And Eve answers, may I not do with what I wish with the eyes that God has given me? And, and St. And, and, uh, and, and Bernard interjects there. He says, you may do whatever you wish, but not everything is good for you. Okay? So don't fool yourself by dwelling on something. Nip it in the bud. Don't fool yourself by dwelling on it. It only tends to get worse. It only tends to get worse. Uh, what's good for me to know about, to learn about? Attention can be wasted. This is, uh, Fra- this is Francis again. The worst waste is that which leads to sin. The serpent begins to speak. He weakens your reason with flattery. He awakens your fear with lies. You won't die, he says. Awakens your interest while stirring up your greed. Sharpens your curiosity and prompts your desire. Offers what's forbidden and takes away what's given. Holds out an apple and steals heaven. Okay? And last thing that Francis says, I keep turning to the board as if my notes are here. They're not all up here. Um, the love of God is the best defense against temptation. Okay? The best defense against temptation. The love of God. One love drives out another. I know I used to do a lot of work up at, up at uh, back when it was called Mary Washington College. I was assigned to All Saints, and I would go down there a lot and talk to the students. And very often, the subject matter of their spiritual conversations was uh, how their romances had broken up, right? How something had, something had gone wrong, and someone had broken up with them, and that kind of thing. And I always tried to tell them, one love drives out another. In other words, you know, someone's going to come along, and you'll... Forget who that person was. But anyway, one love drives out another. And that's the way it is with the love of God, too. Um, when the devil realizes that all of his temptation is only making you stronger, he stops tempting you. It's a really amazing reality. Okay? Once he realizes that all you're doing is profiting from it, he backs down. Temptations disappear. Right? When it makes you just cling to God all the more. Um, and then I, I said the last thing he said was that Francis actually has one last thing to say on this. He says, fortify your heart with good thoughts and talk about them. Um, he says, talk about, talk about openly about what happens, say, with vanity. Maybe you have a trouble with vanity. You're too concerned about your appearance. Just think about the human condition. It leads to decay. It leads to death. He says, maybe your trouble is greed. He says, think about the slavery and talk about the slavery of being subject to money and possessions that are given to serve and not to be your master. How one day your possessions would be divided, squandered and wasted. Okay? Speak about the very things which you struggle with and it fortifies your heart. I was, um, I was talking with somebody once who had given a, a bunch of money away to, to, some, uh, to, to some grandchildren and he was just absolutely mortified that instead of using it for something good, like putting it in the bank, helping them to, 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 to save for their college... Uh, they, they took they took a, a, a first class cruise to the Bahamas, right? It's like squandering my money. Well, after you're dead and buried, it's all going to be gone. And Francis says, think about those things. Okay, it helps to helps you to fight back against your worst temptations. Okay, now here's a subject that I find very helpful: anxiety and spiritual sorrow. Now here's something that people struggle with: sorrow and anxiety. Feel guilty for both of them. Now, Francis says there's a temptation to think that once you've begun to follow Christ, all your troubles are going to be over, right? 
Now, if you've been walking this path for a bunch of years, you know that's baloney. But sometimes someone will have a, con- a conversion experience or maybe a sinful way of life, and it'll really turn their life around, and they'll think that now the sun at last will shine on all their endeavors. And it's just not true. It doesn't work like that. One thing that nobody can avoid, even the holiest people, even the saints, even Francis de Sales, even Mother Teresa, is sorrow. Right? Is sorrow. Sorrow is the consequence of the soul coming in contact with evil. Okay? We're living in a broken world and there is sorrow. He says it's a part of your human condition on earth. Don't feel bad that you feel bad. A lot of people get themselves all worked up because they think, oh, if I was holy, I'd always be chipper and lively and like the sunshine. No, no. Okay, the spirit feels sorrow for exterior evils and something such as illness or disdain or poverty. And it feels sorrow for interior evils like ignorance and temptation and spiritual dryness. Okay, so sorrow, something to think about now. Something everybody has to wrestle with. Free yourself from all worry. Because we all face this. And one encouraging thought about sorrow, Francis says, he says, it's the way the devil tries to immobilize some souls who won't succumb to his temptations. Okay? So sometimes, the very ones uh, who who are doing the best get afflicted the worst and it's part of the cross that you carry. But there's no guilt for it. There's no sense that you're not as good a Christian. There's going to be sorrow in the spiritual life. Okay, But sorrow is not the trouble. The trouble is anxiety. Okay, The trouble is anxiety. Now, as I wrote up here, sorrow is what happens when you come in contact with an evil that you can't flee from. Right? Anxiety is what happens when you come in contact with an evil you can't flee from, sorrow, right? But you act apart from God's providence. You act apart from God's love. Okay? You want a resolution to this problem now. And you want it on your own terms. Sound familiar? That's anxiety. He says, now that we do need to get rid of. Right? Uh, your mind forgets God's providence. Your heart forgets God's love. Sorrow is not under your control, anxiety is. And Francis says, acting apart from divine love, we seek freedom with patience, gentleness, humility, tranquility, trusting in providence. Acting from self-love causes anxiety, wanting immediate deliverance. It immobilizes you, anxiety does. Breaks down your spiritual courage. Makes it seem like pain has no possible remedy. No relief on the horizon. It increases sorrow. And it can lead to sin. Okay? An anxious heart, a troubled heart, doesn't have the resources that it needs to seek out virtue, to seek out temptation. Francis says it's like a bird caught in a net. The more it tries to fly away, the worse it gets. Breaks bones, breaks feathers, uh, the worse it tries to get. You notice when we pray at Mass, there's one thing we say every single Mass. Every single Mass we say, free us from all sin and from all anxiety. Okay? So if you can't get nailed by the one, be careful you don't get nailed by the other. Right? Um, so what can we do about this? What can we do about this? What can we do about this? Well, take a look at sorrow. Okay? It can have good effects. It can actually have good effects. It can have, uh, uh, it can have bad effects, but it can have good effects. 
Sorrow can lead to compassion for other people. We're going through the same thing. Okay? Um, there was a, an author um, who died in the 50s. His name was Dom Hubert von Zeller. He was a Benedictine uh, monk. And you know with a name like Dom Hubert von Zeller, he's got to be an intellectual. Okay? Uh, and he wrote this and, 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 and um, he wrote this book and uh, he um, he said that when God he, he said that when God sends a sorrow into your life, one of the reasons that he sends it into your life is so that you can later go and use what you've learned by going through it to help out somebody else. Okay? Almost like one who's walked the path knows exactly what steps are coming up. The hidden ones, in the darkness, in the difficulty. And you can lead somebody else through it. So it's one of the great consolations to go through when you are in sorrow to recognize this is not fruitless. I'm going to help somebody because of this. I might not help them. I might not even meet them for ten years. But someday, I'm going to be able to help somebody. And he says, that's one of the good effects of, of, of sorrow. Another one is repentance for sin. Knows your, you can know your own weakness. Right? But it also has bad effects. Sorrow can have bad effects. Jealousy, sloth, anger, impatience. Somebody once described it to me like this. When a sorrow comes along, it either makes you bitter or makes you better, depending on how you take it. Not every hardship makes you better. Only the ones you take take in in faith. Only the ones that you try to embrace and see the... See the, the, the hope, the, 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 the providence, even, even in things you don't understand. Okay? But it can turn you away from prayer. It can turn you away from good judgments. It can keep you from having the courage to carry out what you need. He says it's like, it can be like spiritual winter. The devil uses it on good people who do not delight in sin to keep them from doing good and progressing closer to God. Okay? So, um, you know, be, 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 on the, be on the lookout. Whenever I give somebody anointing of the sick... I always like to have a little miniature catechesis on anointing of the sick before I give it to them. And the catechesis goes something like this. Do you know what anointing of the sick does? And they'll say, that's, that's last rites. That means, you know, like, I'm gasping my last. No, that's not what it means. Anointing of the sick is a sacrament that fortifies one with courage in those times of sickness and sorrow when your temptation is to turn away from God while your virtue can be to turn towards them. It's that spiritual grace to turn towards them. Okay? And Francis says, keep that in mind even if you're not physically sick, even if you're just in spiritual sorrow. So let's talk about overcoming sorrow. Okay? Overcoming sorrow. He's got some things to say about it. Okay? The first thing that he has to say about it is, slow down, close your eyes, close your mouth, restore calm to your mind, and calm to your will. Okay? Um, one of my favorite passages from the scriptures is Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Okay? Be still and know that I am God. The reason why that's one of my favorite passages from the scriptures is because I had a really good friend in the seminary who was determined to leave the seminary. He had it up to here. He was sick of the place. As you know, you can become just with anything, right? One guy in the seminary said, I want to tear this place apart brick by brick. Well, anyway, this guy, he had it. He was going to leave. So he goes up to the rector of the seminary one night and he says, I've had it. I'm not going to do this. I'm leaving the seminary. I'm dropping this whole idea. I'm going back 
into the world and get a job. Rector of the seminary says, okay, fine, very well. Just do me one favor first. Okay. I want you to go to the chapel, spend one hour in prayer, meditating on Psalm 46, verse 10. He said, Psalm 46, verse 10, what is that? He goes, just go to the chapel and meditate for an hour on Psalm 46, verse 10. He never left. He never left. The idea of kind of handing it over to God, um, all these worries, all these anxieties, give it to God and get a good night's sleep. It's a very good, very good advice. Okay? Um, Francis also says, examine your conscience to see whether you're allowing anxiety to carry you away. Right? Carrying away by fear, hatred, envy. A lot of people get carried away by fear. A lot of pessimism. Carried away by it. He says, once again, gently bring it back into God's presence. He also says, open up to somebody. Open up to a friend. Open up to spiritual direction. Open up to spiritual direction. It really helps just to let it out. A lot of times people will come and talk uh, with the priest and we don't resolve anything. But they walk away feeling so much better. Why? Because they talk to somebody about it. That's why. Just opening up makes a big difference. Spiritual direction, a good friend, just open up and let it out. Okay? Uh, third thing Francis says, pray. Right? Pray, 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 pray. Letter Epistle of St. James. Is any of you sad? St. James says, let him pray. James Chapter 5, verse 13. Are you sad? Pray. God is the source of joy. Is there any other source of joy? No, there's not. God is the source of consolation. Is there any other source of consolation? There really isn't. Okay? Don't give in to those temptations not to pray, especially when you don't feel like it. Especially when you don't feel like it. That's when you really need to pray. Um, Perform acts of piety. Act in spite of your empty feelings. It's funny how feelings are. And Francis was right on to this. Uh, feelings are like a caboose. Actions are like the engine. Put those actions into practice. Regardless of what you feel, the feelings have a way of coming along. It's funny how that is. It's, just, it's funny how that is. You begin to, you begin to become how you, how you act. Okay? So he says, act on those feelings, uh, act on those good ideas you have in spite of how you feel. Okay? Receive the Eucharist. Do moderate penance. Seek out the companionship of holy people. All right? But most especially, um, um, keep in mind God's greater plan and trust yourself to His care. Right? Know that sorrow is for a purpose. It's only for a season. You'll be delivered from it. And uh, you'll be delivered from it when the need for it is past. Okay? And once again, as I said, very consoling idea. When the devil sees that you're profiting from it, he leaves you alone. And so the last little thing we're going to go over here is uh, spiritual consolations and feelings. And uh, this is something to keep in mind. There's a lot of people who think that how they feel is an indication of their spiritual health. Okay? So if they are feeling happy when they pray, well, then that's good prayer. But if they're feeling empty when they pray, that's not good prayer. Uh, if they're feeling full of life and vitality, you know, and the, everyone's swaying and clapping and that kind of thing, well, that's really pleasing to God. And no, it's really not that simple. Okay? Um, people experience great emotions when praying, sighs, tears, hearts overwhelmed. What do you make of these things? Francis says be skeptical of them. Be very skeptical of them. We are very, very inclined to want to do things that we feel good about. He says, if you want to know the value of the tree, you look to its fruit. 
not to your feelings. Okay? Look to the fruits. A lot of times, emotional excess in prayer is not from God. Okay? So he says, look to the fruit. If it arouses humility, patience, and charity, and compassion, and obedience, and simplicity, and zeal, then it's good stuff. Right? But if it's leading to, or maybe if I say it's not remedying bitterness, selfishness, impatience, stubbornness, pride, presumption, harshness of feelings, selfishness, I don't care what it feels like, that's not good, right? That is not, that, that is not from God. And he, he gives a couple of examples. He says, imagine a child, okay, who weeps and weeps when they see their mother going in for surgery. But then that same mother comes later on and asks the child to put down a cookie and the child won't obey. Okay? He says, I don't know where that child's heart is, but something's lacking, right? Um, Christ on the cross might arouse you to weep with sorrow, but that's not worth anything if the same person won't give up his attachments, right? The same person won't make strides in his grace. He says, such feelings are like the friendship of little children. It's tender, but it's weak. It's fickle. It's not worth very much. So what happens when feelings... First of all, be suspicious of them. What happens when feelings do come along? Well, here's something to meditate on. He says, accept them with humility. It only goes to show how weak you are. Right? He says, um, you're just an infant who can't digest solid food. You need sweets to draw out God's love. See them, these consolations, as an expression of God's love. If a child could reflect as we can, he would know that the sweets are far less valuable than the love of the one who offers them. Okay? So, in other words, stronger souls don't need these spiritual consolations, but you do. So, hey, be humble. All right? um, in prayer, there's something known as the law of fluctuation. There's always an ebb and a flow of your feelings. There's times when you have consolation. There's times when you have desolation. Um, that's the way it always will be. You need those consolations to keep going. And those desolations keep you humble and dependent. Okay? So remember the one who gives the consolations, not the consolations themselves. Be like St. John. Be like St. John, the Apostle St. John. He followed Christ to the transfiguration. Saw him blazing in glory. Right? Saw him fall in the transfiguration of Mount Tabor. He also followed him to Calvary and saw him crucified. Be sure to love God regardless of the circumstances. And uh, the last class is usually a little bit early, right? And I could go on and 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 on. And on. But what I hope that you've gotten here is something of a feel of the spiritual wisdom of Francis de Sales. Uh, a little bit of his practicality, uh, a few little nuggets that will help you perhaps on things that you're working with, perhaps things that you, other people have asked you about. Um, and, and a decent overview and perhaps uh, a little bit of, uh, uh, of, a, of an inclination to maybe pick up one of the writings of Francis de Sales. He has two main writings, Treatise on the Love of God and Introduction to the Devout Life. Okay? Uh, compilations of things that he's of things that he's written. Um, in the future, we've got uh, I've got a class on Therese. I've got a class on Teresa of Avila. I've got a class on Saint John of the Cross, um, uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, and Saint Catherine of Siena. And we've got lots and lots of time as the years go on. But here's Francis de Sales. There's one that I find uh, particularly helpful, and I and I hope you do too. Okay. So I thought what we could do we could just uh, see if anybody has any questions to to throw at me this time.